I'm Jack Semlicka, and welcome to this episode of our 2018 Precision Farming Dealer Podcast Series. In today's program, we take a look at both the short and long-term outlook for precision farming innovations and when some of the next trending technologies will arrive. If this is your first time joining us, I'd encourage you to subscribe to this podcast series, currently available in iTunes, the Google Play Store, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, and TuneIn Radio. Or if there's another app you prefer for listening to podcasts, let us know, and we'll make every effort to get it added. And by subscribing, that will allow you to get alerts when upcoming episodes in this series are released. I also encourage you to mark your calendars and plan to join us at the upcoming 4th Precision Farming Dealer Summit, January 7th and 8th in Indianapolis. The theme of this dealer-only event is building business value with recurring revenue and will feature sessions on carving out a profitable precision niche, increasing billable service revenue, and establishing a strategy for offering agronomic support. Space is limited, and you can visit PrecisionSummit.com for more information and program updates. As 2018 comes to a close, it's worth looking ahead to what the next year and beyond could bring as far as precision farming technology development and adoption. Equipment automation, drone-based nutrient application, and hybrid or electric machinery are among the innovations which are trending toward broader application, perhaps as soon as 2025, according to the results of a recent study conducted by consulting company Roland Berger. The Chicago-based firm surveyed more than 40 different ag companies, including major OEMs, precision-specific manufacturers, and agribusiness startups. Some of the noteworthy takeaways from the 2018 study included indications that startup companies are driving innovations that are outside of core manufacturing objectives for OEMs. But there is also ongoing momentum for industry partnerships among small and large egg companies to develop machine learning and robotic technologies. In today's Precision Farming Dealer podcast, we share excerpts from my conversation with Wilfred Albert senior partner with Roland Berger, as we discuss the current and future progress of precision innovation on both a national and global scale. Starting out, I could get just a little bit of background on yourself and the organization, kind of where your interests lie in the precision farming industry. Yeah, we are a global organization, consulting organization focusing on strategy and operations. We have some 2,500 people across the globe with a strong presence in uh, Europe and Asia and very strong and growing presence in the U.S. Uh, in the precision farming space, we're looking uh, de facto at uh, several applications. Main focus for us are the OEs and the implement manufacturers. But obviously, you cannot serve them well if you don't focus on the use cases. And that at the end of the day means understanding how farming works, what are the kind of applications, what are the complications also when you look at applying precision farming in a real-life scenario. Right? And one of the things that we've done recently is a study where we looked at some more than 40 players across the farming value chain to understand what are their efforts in precision farming, what is their view on precision farming, and how do they want to take this forward. So we covered basically OEs, suppliers, tech companies like Trimble and others, like uh, uh, research institutes and agri-startups. So what are some of the things that you guys were able to find out from that study? 
Well, if you look at precision farming, basically, from a background perspective, you have various factors that drive the move towards precision farming. One is the fact that we have shifts in farm structures. We have labor challenges that is a concern not only in developed nations, be it the United States or Europe. That's also a major concern in developing nations where you sort of look at uh, India not having enough people for sugarcane farming or sugarcane harvest. You can look at China that has similar uh, challenges. So it's a, it's a very widespread phenomenon that needs to be addressed and is then uh, particularly acute in some countries such as Japan, which drives, for example, the drive for automation and autonomous uh, farming activities in Japan in a very, very strong manner. Right? So it's the recognition that new talent is not coming into the industry and also the recognition that if you look at the average age of talent across the globe, again, be it the West and be it emerging markets, many of the farmers are old. Mm-hmm. Right, so that's uh, that definitely has a major impact. Then you have the whole issue around food security that's driving precision farming. You have the fact that today we do have some technologies, whether it's big data or farm management solutions, or a certain amount of artificial intelligence that uh, allow you to do things that you couldn't dream of before. Right, so all those factors are impacting the precision farming activities. And then based on that, what we've done is we've developed scenarios where we looked at two major impacting dimensions. One is sort of the scalability, meaning can we get to a point where precision farming technologies are cheap and can be widely used and are scalable so that I can provide a solution that's available not only for a large farm in the US, but also for a small farm, say in China or in India, and also the regulatory push in terms of uh, what is the pressure that we're getting on, for example, herbicides and others. Right? And based on that, we've been looked at uh, what are some of the technologies, what are some of the sort of trends that we can see uh, going forward. You know, and uh, basically looked at that across connected and big data. We looked at it across automated farming, farm management solutions, and then some uh, view also on electrification, alternate fuels and others. So you mentioned a couple of those emerging technologies, things that we've certainly seen here in the United States take hold in the last several years, automation, some of the big data elements that have really developed rapidly. What are you seeing as some of the trends that you think are going to shape the industry, whether it's in the U.S. or abroad, and how are those comparing to each other? Again, if I, I mean, it depends a little bit on the technology that you're looking at. For example, if we take drones, there are several trends that will happen in the drone space. One is that the hardware definitely becomes a commodity or is a commodity already. So you're not going to need money necessarily on providing the hardware unless you have a really good cost position. So the intelligence, again, will be in software. The second thing with drones that we feel is important to keep in mind is that there is a constant competition with satellites as far as imaging is concerned. And as satellites are getting better and better, there is a fair chance that drones may be sort of applied in uh, more in niche applications. So if the weather is cloudy, I can't use a satellite, then probably I'm going to use uh, drones. If I am in hilly environments, if you look at, for example, some of the plantations in Japan, you may want to use drones for monitoring and mapping. We do see a significant amount of activity in farm management solutions. Again, addressing some of the key issues, such as labor availability, it's also an area that some of the OEs are looking at in terms of how they can actually get into it. 
as far as uh, sort of hybrid electric powertrains are concerned, we really don't see that penetrating the overall agricultural space that quickly, simply because of power density, simply because also of factors such as the, the recharging that you have to have, right? You can't lose operating time in the field just by sort of recharging batteries and waiting for them to recharge. And even swapping batteries may not be quite as efficient or efficient enough to really uh, drive this. You mentioned the drone technology, and obviously that's something that a lot of farmers and dealers themselves were, were very excited about here. And, and there certainly uh, was a buzz during the last you know, three, four years when that technology really came to the forefront here uh, in the U.S. And obviously there were some regulatory issues that were, were still being worked out. And, and uh, still, yeah, exactly. Correct. And no, and, not positive. Well, and, and that's the thing. I mean, I, I guess I, I wonder from your perspective, you know, what, what were some of the things you found as maybe some of the hurdles when we're talking about adoption or expansion uh, of some of these uh, next generation technologies, you know, whether it's drone technology or autonomy, uh, the electrification of, of machinery, um, you know, are, are there things which uh, are presenting obstacles to uh, development of that? I think the uh, autonomy is relatively far ahead in the sense that uh, uh, quite a bit of work has happened over the last decade or so with uh, some of the North American OEs definitely leading the fray. There's a question and concern about safety, which is uh, potentially one of the areas that uh, needs to be considered. But generally, as far as autonomy is concerned, autonomy in a field is easier to do than autonomy on the road or in a city. So we believe that... Uh, that is an area where agriculture is going to see quite a bit of push. The overall question in autonomous solutions is, does the fact that we are eliminating the driver now open up the opportunity to say, listen, I'm going to move away from one large tractor into a number of smaller tractors? Right? That's a potentially valid question. In some sense, I could change the production paradigm. I could potentially produce these small tractors much, much uh, cheaper and uh, also my risk of failure would go down dramatically. Instead of having one large machine, if it breaks down, I have a major issue. I have 10, large mach uh, 10 small machines. If one of them breaks down, I can still finish the work on the field. Uh, that's, uh, I think that's currently a discussion that's ongoing. There are factors that need to be considered. There's basically the factor of uh, diesel and fuel efficiency. Right? How does scaling of tractors impact the operating cost per hectare? Or per acre, also from a fuel consumption side, there is a question around uh, power density, especially if we're looking at harvesting applications, uh, weeding and seeding and those kind of applications are easier to do. Uh, but I think this is an exciting area where we do see players such as Kubota uh, pushing quite hard. We do have a sort of a swarm of smaller HP tractors, about 60 HP, uh, that they are currently considering and working on. So it's going to be interesting to see how this works out. And their claim is obviously that this is good in terms of scalability. It's good also in terms of soil compaction. I think the, the other challenge that we have in some of the precision farming applications is that we are moving definitely in the right direction, but it's very complex. Agriculture is a very complex field in the sense that you have lots of different variables. So you have the farming practices, you have the plants themselves, you have the fact that if I do use RGB technology, for example, the spectrum of a plant can depend quite significantly on whether it's been watered or not, whether it has the right nutrients or not. So there are lots of variables that need to be uh, worked out in order to find uh, 
decent solution and a reliable solution. Generally, we believe that here the trend will go towards sensors and intelligence that's actually in the equipment. It can be the implement or it can be the tractor. That's most likely actually going to be the uh, implement uh, rather than in soil. Uh, we think that this should be a better and uh, a more favorable solution. And uh, we also see the challenge of basically making sure that some of these solutions are actually fast enough. Uh, if you look at, uh, say, strawberry picking and all that, that's been currently discussed in the United, not in the United States, in the United Kingdom, right? Britain basically looks at robotic solutions for strawberry picking because they're not going to get enough uh, workers to uh, pick their fruits anymore. Uh, the problem with these kind of applications is that they are not at the level of performance that is needed to really replace a human. So they're still slow, they're still very deliberate in their activities, and as a consequence, uh, it's going to be difficult. Or uh, Let me put it this way, it takes still some investment in time before you can hit a point where uh, this will be completely relevant. Where we've seen good progress is in feeding applications and milk robots. Right, so there we are at the level where this is uh, widely used and it's also making sense from an overall economic perspective. So I know you, you mentioned uh, some of the, the analysis you guys have done, uh, both looking at what's being done overseas and then also in North America. What are you seeing as far as the pace of development and implementation for maybe some of the European countries compared to what's being done here in the United States? Now, it seems that some of those countries and areas, especially in agriculture, are, are further along than, than what we're seeing in the States. Yeah, I think it depends always on two things. One is I do believe that uh, the North American OEs are definitely well positioned and strong as far as technology development is concerned. Uh, definitely pushing hard as far as autonomous applications are concerned. There are various startups that have been bought by American OEs trying to understand how to integrate the, the technology of these startups into the overall value proposition. Handling this uh, integration or this cooperation with both universities and startups is something that's sort of a capability that needs to be developed by OEs. And then the second pillar is not the OE and the investment in R&D, but it's also the regulatory environment. And I think that what we are seeing in some other industries as well, with the European Union being relatively strict on some of these parameters, that actually is driving innovation for uh, local applications. I mean, uh, this is not directly linked, but if you look at the latest uh, sort of decision on limiting CO2 emissions in vehicles, where the target is to reduce CO2 emissions by 2030 by another 37.5% vis-a-vis the emissions in 2021. That clearly indicates that that's going to drive a significant push towards cleaner combustion engines. It's going to drive a significant push towards alternative combustion or electric vehicles. So it's uh, this regulatory piece is extremely important to also drive uh, innovation. And the other point, in my opinion, is that there are sometimes different innovation philosophies. If I look at the Asian environment where you have a player such as Kubota, uh, you are typically confronted with smaller land holdings, uh, fragmented land holdings, uh, different types of crops, and that has, a, uh, as a result, a completely different philosophy as far as innovation is concerned, as far as the overall structure of the machinery is concerned. 
So when we're looking at the short term and the long term picture here, based on what you guys have found, what what are you seeing as some of the things that manufacturers and, and equipment dealers should keep on their radar for 2019? And then maybe looking a little further out, what do you think are going to be some of the, the key indicators in the precision egg industry looking beyond the next 12 months? I think the current situation is that if we look at uh, fleet management solutions, there we have already high maturity on the OE side. We see a reasonable level of maturity in yield. We see a reasonable level of maturity in uh, auto guidance and precision technology. Again, there you need to deep dive and look into the application. I mean, act being so complicated and complex, I think it's something that you really need to focus on as far as the crop is concerned. And the main applications uh, or a significant number of applications are high value applications that simply lend themselves to the introduction uh, of technologies. Uh, we don't see, uh, as I said before, hybrid and electric really making it in uh, the ag field. We believe that that's something that uh, is going to be a very long off. It's, uh, yes, there are people working on it and yes, we will face stronger emission regulations in the agricultural field, but it's not going to be uh, immediate. And then technologies that we see in the mid-range or in the midterm are the whole sensor technology, optical onboard or UAV-based technologies, precision farming uh, technologies like variable rate and that's uh, sort of various avatars, and then obviously a stronger push on data analytics. The last question I had for you was, you mentioned, obviously, some of the emergence of these technologies, you know, certainly could, you know, maybe change the model of delivery that OEMs and other manufacturers are accustomed to in the egg industry. Um, you know, in your research and analysis, uh, did you guys get any, any feedback or uh, any insight into, you know, if, if this is something that manufacturers are thinking about? Is this a reality that they would, you know, obviously have to kind of deviate from what they've traditionally done as far as tractor or implement assembly in production? I think the what we're seeing is that many of the OEs are looking at farm management solutions. Uh, typically starts out via the fleet management solutions because they know the equipment well, so that's something that they can keep under control quite nicely. We have seen, if you look at Mahindra, for example, efforts to extend the value chain by going into providing services to farmers. There's a startup that they've uh, sort of launched, which is called Tringo. And I think this is generally an area that's potentially of interest to some of the players in the field and would also help you to understand the ecosystem potentially even more complete. And we definitely see a discussion around the overall swarming technology versus the traditional large engine or large tractor technology. Whether that is going to come or move one way or the other, that's really not clear at this point in time. Wilfred, I really appreciate the time today. Thanks for, for taking a few moments to chat, share some of the, the research and the analysis that you guys have done and some of the results that could impact here what we see in the next several years and, and beyond in the ag industry. Any additional comments or thoughts you'd, you'd like to add? I think it's really an exciting time for ag. Uh, one is definitely the constant sort of fight for yield, the fight for the overall profitability of farmers, which is an issue in the West, it's an issue in emerging markets. So that's where I think a lot will happen going forward. The second thing is with the overall changing environment and some of the scandals that we've had in the past and the concern about the usage of herbicides, pesticides and all that, there is a clear case to use technology 
not only to drive uh, up yield, but also to sort of ensure that whatever we eat is actually healthier and less uh, affected by uh, by chemicals. So I think this is an exciting time to be in agriculture. It's an exciting time to see how this technology will impact uh, the products and also the business models. And I think it's also very important for people to recognize that this is not a sort of an old state kind of industry, but it's really an industry that uh, currently in many ways is, uh, yes, conservative, but also uh, pushing the boundaries of uh, technology and pushing the boundaries of what's possible. And we've just scratched the surface. We haven't even talked about indoor farming. We haven't talked about uh, hydroponics and all those various technologies that could have a major impact on how we consume food and also in some sense uh, even impact and logistics value chains. Because I don't have to transport the food if I can actually grow it within the city in a larger warehouse. So I think it's exciting. It's an opportunity for players that uh, understand the space well, understand the uh, overall use cases well. And I believe it's also an opportunity for players that can integrate various actors along the value chain. What we are seeing is that for example, startups sometimes have a hard time uh, understanding the application of the technology, of the algorithms in an agricultural environment, uh, and uh, also have a, a slightly difficult time of working with an ecosystem that includes some of the traditional players. But I think that's where, in this collaboration, that's where value is being created, an opportunity is being created. Well, thank you, Wilfred, for sharing your insights into what lies ahead for the precision farming industry. And I certainly look forward to your feedback on today's program, so feel free to drop me an email at jzemlicka at lessitermedia.com or give me a call at 262-777-2441. And if you haven't done so already, you can subscribe to this podcast series in iTunes or the Google Play Store to get an alert when future episodes are released. And don't forget, you can also keep up on the latest precision farming news impacting your dealership by registering online for our free daily email update. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at PFD Editors and on our Precision Farming Dealer Facebook page. Finally, just another quick reminder to join us at the upcoming 4th Precision Farming Dealer Summit, January 7th and 8th in Indianapolis. Space is limited, and you can visit PrecisionSummit.com for more information and program updates. Well, I hope that you'll join us again on January 9th for the first episode in our 2019 podcast series. And for Wilfred Alber and his team at Roland Berger and our entire staff here with Precision Farming Dealer, I'm Jack Semlicka. Thanks for listening.